Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is the the Lord our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Now, uh, if it's your first Sunday this morning, or you've not been around over the last week, few weeks, we've been doing a series on worship. <clears throat> we've been talking about worship, and specifically, the title of this series, which we've taken from Life Church, is "Come to Worship." And it's based um, around that scripture from Matthew chapter 2 where the wise men come before Jesus and they say, we have come to worship Jesus. And over these weeks, we've been focusing on different postures in our worship. So the first week, if you remember, I was talking about raising up our hands as we come to worship God. And then Boz spoke about us bringing our gifts before God as an expression of our worship. And then last week, Anne was talking about pouring out our hearts, that actually our posture in worship is not just about physically what we do, but it's also about our hearts. And are we coming with our desires and our passions and expressing those before God? And this morning, we're going to talk about bowing our knees before God, kneeling before God in an act of surrender and worship. And so let's just look for a moment at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, about the wise men, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Why were the wise men overjoyed? Well, of course, they were uh, um, astronomers. They had been studying the stars. We don't know for how long, but they got to this point where they got excited because there was something in the sky that was pointing to something, and now they were coming to see what that star was pointing to. And when they come to Jesus, what happens? Well, we read in verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I find it uh, quite interesting that when we think about uh, Jesus and the wise men, we often have this picture of Jesus in the manger. Maybe we picture him as four days old, maybe eight days old, maybe two weeks old. And we've got this picture of a beautiful, glossy stable with Jesus in the manger who's sleeping, which is fantastic if you're a parent of a baby, to have a sleeping baby. And then the wise men are there just stood in all their splendor, um, either standing or kneeling before Jesus. Now, for many of us, we may know this already, but it's like that Jesus was much older than that. He may have even been up to two years old. The wise men had to travel many, many miles to get to Jesus. Um, Herod ordered uh, the, the killing of babies up to two years old. And so we think that Jesus may have been a lot older than simply a few days old. And uh, I don't know, just for fun, I don't know how many of you here have a two-year-old or uh, have had a two-year-old or have been around a two-year-old. Um, you probably know where I'm going here. Um, we, we've had four of them. And uh, you, you'll know if you have had them. It's quite an experience. And I have to be, I have to be honest with you. And as a new parent, um, I thought, you know, I'm going to get this cracked, okay? I'm going to have the right framework for them. I'm going to have the right discipline And we're going to set the model for parents for the future of how to handle a two-year-old. Then reality hit. It got to when our children became two. And I was like, stuff the discipline. Stuff the framework. We're just going to have to go with it here. And it even came to times where I thought, you know, if I can just entice my child with a bit of Haribo. You know, I just thought, if if you're quiet for two minutes, I'm going to give you a bag of Haribo. 
it just wasn't happening. So I just gave them the Haribo anyway and said, we'll just have the Haribo, then I'll get some peace and quiet for a couple of minutes anyway. thing is, they come back for more Haribo after that, and there's only so much Haribo you can give a child. Um, otherwise, it multiplies uh, the impact. But we, we realize, don't we, that two-year-olds are messy. They get mess all down them. You come to a puddle, and uh, they start to walk through the puddle. As the children get older, they kind of just walk through. But two-year-olds walk to the puddle. They start to splash around. Their boots are really short as well. So the water kind of overflows into their boots. And then five minutes later, they just start crying because they're wet and they're cold. And they want to go home. I need to stop now. It's feeling a bit like therapy. Um, <laughs> but we know the reality, don't we, um, of a two-year-old. Now, of course, Jesus was perfect. Um, but, but we would say a lot of those things about two-year-olds isn't, isn't that they're sinful. It's just the fact that they're developing. They're learning independence, and they're growing in who they are. And so when the wise men came to Jesus, it's quite a different picture from a baby in the manger. He may have had soup down his clothes as the wise men came. And what a picture this is of wise men coming and bowing down before a two-year-old in an act of worship. And so this morning, I want us to talk about us coming before God, coming before Jesus, and kneeling in reverence, kneeling in awe before him. And so I don't know for many of you, um, the times that you've kneeled in your life, I know for me, the only times really I kneel is in worship. It's not something I do elsewhere. The only two times I can think I have done that, one was when I proposed to Ali, and the other uh, was when I was kneeling, uh, posing for a photograph for my football team as I was in the front row. I knelt on the, on the floor. It's just not something we do in our culture. And it may feel a bit uncomfortable for us. And yet, God's word many, many times talks about people getting down on their knees, getting in this posture of worship. Psalm 95, which I've already read from, says this, Come, let us. Come, let us do what? It says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Then what does it say? It says, Kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, because he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. There's an interesting Hebrew word here for uh, kneel that's used often in the Old Testament. In fact, it's used 170 times, and it's the word shachar. And this word literally means not just to worship, but it means literally to bow down, to bow down in worship. And I just wonder, one of the reasons maybe why we don't bow down, why we don't get down on our knees that much in our worship, is because we don't fully recognize the holiness and the awesomeness of God. God is so powerful and so awesome. And sometimes we, you know, leave Jesus in the manger, we forget his power and his awe, that actually he's so much greater than us. And in fact, there's a really good example of this in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses cries out to God and he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'll show you my glory. And God takes him and puts him in the cleft of a rock or in the cave on the, the rock face. And as Moses is there, God passes by Moses. And as God's passing by, he hides his face from Moses because God says, you cannot see my face and live Such is the holiness and the awesomeness of God. And as we begin to understand this a bit more, it's not surprising that the Bible talks about us bowing down before God. 
And you know, over this series, this series of Come to Worship, what's my passion through this? Well, my passion through this is that we get a greater sense of what worship is about, whether it's raising our hands in worship, whether it's offering our gifts, whether it's pouring out our hearts, or whether it's bowing our knee before God. God wants us to come to him and worship him. And so as we think about kneeling, as we think about bowing down, there are just three things I want us to look at this morning. And the first one is that we might want to kneel in pursuit. We may want to kneel in pursuit. In Mark's gospel in the 10th chapter, there's a really interesting story about a really rich guy. You know, sometimes we can think, well, people have all the money in the world. They've got everything they needed. But we see with this man, a man who had lots, maybe perceived by some to have everything, actually lacked something. And we read in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And what did this man do? We read, he fell on his knees before Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I've got a confession to make as a preacher that I've preached on this passage a few times, or at least alluded to it. And the thing that I've focused on is what? I've focused on the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a fantastic question to ask. It's about what is life about? You know, what does life look like um, after I die? And it's exploring an amazing question. But I never really paid attention to this man's posture, to how he approached and how he addressed Jesus. It literally is saying he got down on his knees before Jesus and said, how can I inherit eternal life? What must I do? And you know, there may be some of you here this morning who are in that place, that you're in that place where you're just questioning life, where you're like, you know, what is life about? What's the purpose of life? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just thinking, you know, well, I'm just here. I'm not quite sure why I'm here. Um, for, For others of us, we may be followers of Christ, but we're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, I know something about God, but who's Jesus? How does Jesus fit in? Maybe you're thinking, well, um, you know, how does God allow suffering? You're thinking, you know, how do other religions fit in? I always say that a questioning faith is a growing faith. Actually, many of the te- much of the teaching that Jesus brought was in response to a question. And this morning, if that's you, if you're asking big questions, I want to really encourage you and say that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. Come to Jesus. And you may even want to just get down on your knees and say, God, I don't understand all this. But God, I want to get down on my knees before you. And I want to seek you. I want to pursue you in what you've got for me. I do want to give you a health warning if you do that, though. Because the reality is, as we draw near to God... God draws near to us, something we've been focusing on all year year round. And if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And my experience is that when God turns up, stuff starts to happen. But some of you this morning might want to kneel on your knees and pursue him. The second thing I want to say is that as well as pursuing him uh, through kneeling, we may want to kneel in repentance. You may want to kneel in in repentance. You see, every now and again, or for some of us, many times, we mess up. We get things wrong. We do things against God. We do things against those we love deeply. 
we hurt people. As I've already mentioned, that Christmas can sometimes be a magnifier. The good things are really good. The hard things are really, really hard. And if you've done something against God directly or against others, you can kneel in repentance. And for some of us this morning, there's a real genuine feeling, maybe we're smiling on the outside, but inside, we're really, really struggling because of a difficult relationship, a broken relationship. Jesus invites us to repentance. There's a really good example of repentance uh, in the gospel in Luke chapter 5 about Peter. Peter is a fisherman, he's on his boat, and he's been fishing all night long. And then Jesus comes up to him, Uh, Peter hasn't caught anything, and Jesus says to him, have you tried putting your net on the other side of the boat? Now, I'm just trying to get in Peter's head here for a moment, okay, because Peter uh, recognizes that Jesus is a teacher, um, but he, he knows he's not a fisherman. He's thinking, Peter, uh, Peter's thinking, Jesus, what are you trying to do? You know, I'm the fisherman here. You're the carpenter. Maybe later um, I'll bring some fish. Maybe you can make a table and we'll eat the fish on your table. But why are you giving me advice about fishing? And actually, what difference is it going to make if I move my net from one side of the boat to the other? You know, if the fish aren't just hiding on the other side of the boat because they know the net's the other side, it doesn't make sense. And yet, Peter, what does he do? He does it because of who Jesus is. He knows he's a teacher and a rabbi. Peter says, oh, because you say so, I'll give it a try. So we know the story. Peter throws the net on the other side of the boat, and then there's this massive catch of fish, and the nets start to break because there are so many fish. Peter hadn't fully realized who Jesus was in that moment. And what does Peter do? Well, we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw what happened, what did he do? What did Peter do? We read, he fell on his knees for Jesus. He fell on his knees. And this is an act of repentance. Peter recognizes that he hadn't fully recognized who Jesus was. So he gets on his knees. And then what does he say after that? He doesn't say, oh, I worship you. You're so good. Please give me some more fish. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, go away from me. I am a sinful man. He recognizes his mess and his brokenness. Peter recognizes something of who Jesus is in this moment. And here's the wonderful thing. Jesus doesn't just leave him there and say, yeah, go away from me. No, what does Jesus say? He says, come to me. He welcomes him. Jesus never turns away a repentant sinner. He welcomes us to himself. You know, it doesn't matter how bad you think you are. It doesn't matter how bad the thing that you think you've done. Jesus welcomes all of us. Maybe you feel like you shouldn't even be here this morning. You feel you're not deserving to be in church. You may feel, I've got so much rubbish in my life. Let me say, this is the very place you should be this morning, if that's the case. Jesus welcomes you, and he invites you to come to him. He invites you to kneel down in repentance. And there will be some of us here this morning, that that's what we need to do. We need to just bring ourselves before God and offer that to him. We have this wonderful promise in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, if you confess your sins... 
God is faithful and just to forgive all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You may come to God and say, God, I've got it so wrong. I've messed up. I've hurt the people around me. But Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he will heal you. He will forgive you. He will freely give you his grace. Some of you this morning are going to want to kneel in pursuit. Some are going to want to kneel in repentance. And thirdly and finally, some of you are going to want to kneel in submission. Because you know that there's areas of your life that you're still holding control of. And that you need to offer back to God in submission to him. One of the things I love to do with my kids is to wrestle and have some play fights. And so we do this quite regularly. And uh, one of the things that we say is that if one of us says, I give up, everyone has to stop at that point. have to say often there's a squeal before someone says that. But we say, I give up. And then everyone backs off. And then we, uh, if everybody's up for it, we then have another round. And it's great fun. It doesn't often end in tears, I hasten to add. But it's, it's great fun. And so um, when, when we do this, um, we, we do this regularly. And uh, one of the things for the kids is that it's really important um, that they uh, are able to see that they're developing and growing this. So uh, they, they've actually got to the point where I feel like I'm going to have to say I give up very soon. Um, but the other day, I was walking into the, one, one of their bedrooms, and uh, they'd planned this together. One of them launched off the, the bunk bed, the top of the bunk bed, and the other ran and chased me through the bedroom door as well. And they kind of tried to take me out at the same time. And so I'm getting very close to the point where I'm going to have to say, I give up. And some of us this morning, we need to say that before God. And it may be not, I give up, but it may be, I submit. I'd submit to you, God. And maybe for some of us, it's our whole life that we haven't actually come to that point where we've submitted our whole life before God. We've kind of received him as saviour saying, yeah, thank you for, for paying the price for me. But have we given our whole lives to him and submitted? Or maybe there's a particular area in our lives that we need to surrender and submit before God. One of the things that I find really amazing about Jesus is Jesus, who is the son of God. He is God himself. He knew what it was to submit the one who came as a baby, was born of the Virgin Mary, the one who took all of our sin upon himself. He was without sin, but he knew what it was to carry sin and pay for that for each one of us. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth, knew what it was to submit. And we see this on the night before he died. Uh, He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus withdrew. He was with his disciples in the garden. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond the disciples. And at that moment, what does Jesus do? At that moment, as he was anticipating his death the next day, what did Jesus, who was to be the savior of the world, do? He knelt down on his knees. And he said to his father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours be done. 
And some of us this morning, we need to say those words before God. We need to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. We need to say, less of me and more of you. God is inviting us to submit to him. And I have to say, this is something that I uh, do before God. I recognize I come to a brick wall or I recognize, you know, God, I'm just stuffing it all up here. I just need to come before you. And in those moments, I get down on my knees before him and I just say, God, I'm getting this so wrong. Or I've hit a wall and I need to offer this back to you. I submit to you. I give up. I give all that I am to you. There'll be some of us this morning who will want to do that as well. And the reason I'm bringing this teaching this morning, we're going to have an opportunity in our worship in a moment if we want to, to kneel before him. Just invite that in our worship. Um, I realize it's a hard floor. Um, and I realize it can feel a bit uh, conspicuous, us getting on our knees, but just encourage us, if we feel prompted to do that, um, to do that this morning, if you want to. Of course, most of us will be doing that in a moment anyway, in our communion together, which is great. But if you'd like to do that in our songs of worship in a moment, feel free to do that. For some of us, the call to come to worship is about raising our hands up. For some of us, it's about offering our gifts For some of us, it's about pouring out our hearts. And for some of us this morning, it's about kneeling before God. Come, let us kneel before our God and worship him, the Lord God, our maker. Amen.